and welcome to the latest episode of the Wildlife Matters podcast. I'm Nigel Palmer and I'm your host. In this episode, Wildlife Matters investigates, we will uncover the shocking truth about the annual dolphin hunt in Japan's Tajiko. We will reveal the gruesome slaughter of dolphins and discuss what we can do to prevent this cruel and unnecessary wildlife trade. In our main feature, we will be talking about our support here at Wildlife Matters for a complete ban on hunting with packs of dogs throughout England and Wales. We will also be discussing how we plan to strengthen the Hunting Act to ensure that hunting becomes a thing of the past. And as always, we will spend some time in nature during this week's Wildlife Matters Mindful Moments and bring you the latest news in this week's Wildlife Matters Nature News. Stay tuned for an exciting episode of Wildlife Matters. Coming up next is this week's Nature News. Hello and welcome to this week's Wildlife Matters Nature News. And this week we're starting with a press release that I will read out from Police Scotland. Wildlife officers are appealing after a protective bird of prey was found dead in a trap in Belerno, Edinburgh. The dead peregrine falcon was found around 100 yards from a public path on the edge of a small woodland south of Westerbarblor on Thursday the 23rd of November 2023. Wildlife Crime Officer Detective Constable Daniel Crilly said this protective bird was found in a baited pole trap that is illegal. Peregrine falcons are protected under the Wildlife and Countryside Act and forensic tests are being done as part of our ongoing inquiries to establish the full circumstances. We are asking anyone who saw anything suspicious in the area or who has information that could help to our investigation to get in touch. If you can help, please contact Police Scotland via 101, quoting incident number 1376 of Friday 24th of November, or you can make an anonymous call to Crime Stoppers at 0800 555 111. That's 0800 555 And that is the end of Police Scotland's press release. Now, Wildlife Matters wants to applaud Police Scotland for their response in issuing the press release, but also wants to emphasise that pole traps have been illegal in the UK since 1904, and for a very good reason. They are a brutal way to kill any animal and they cause horrendous suffering and distress often for very many hours. A spring trap is placed on a post where a bird of prey is likely to perch. When the bird lands on the plate the trap springs shut on the bird's legs. When the bird tries to fly away it dangles upside down because the trap is attached to the post to prevent it being carried away by the bird. The bird then remains dangling, often with severe injuries and in huge amounts of distress until its ultimate demise. 
whoever set this trap, whether they were targeting a peregrine or something else, should be in jail. Anybody who is prepared to inflict this level of suffering on a living creature, let alone a protected species, is undoubtedly not safe to be at large in a civilized society. The location of this awful crime is also of interest. Just a couple of kilometers from where the satellite tagged Golden Eagle, known as Fred, disappeared in 2018, before his satellite tag and maybe Fred himself were found in the North Sea. It's also very close to the location of a poisoned peregrine found in the Pentlands back in 2018. It seems that this area is becoming quite a persecution hotspot. And it's another timely example for MSPs who are voting on the general principles of the Wildlife Management and Muirburn Scotland Bill in the Scottish Parliament if this case and its recent suspicious disappearance of Golden Eagle Merrick don't help to persuade our MSPs that the game shooting industry is giving them a two-fingered salute, then we really don't know what will. And unusually, we've got a second story because we cannot ignore a case of shocking animal abuse that happened very close to the Wildlife Matters site recently. It has resulted in the arrest of two agricultural students after a firework allegedly blew up a sheep. At the same time, it was still alive in what has been described by police as a disturbing incident. We can reveal that four students from Plumpton College in West Sussex have been suspended following the incident in November near Ditchling Beacon while a police investigation remains ongoing. Two of the students, aged 18 and 20, have been arrested on suspicion of causing unnecessary suffering to a protected animal and criminal damage and have been released on conditional bail. We have been informed that Plumpton College has now permanently excluded the suspects. At the same time, the two other pupils have been withdrawn from their course to safeguard student welfare and preserve the integrity of the police investigation. In a statement on social media, Plumpton College confirmed that the incident was unrelated to college activity and occurred off campus. Principal Jeremy Kurzweil said, We remain appalled by this incident and saddened by the impact that it has had on our other students, staff and wider community. We have always understood and mirrored the depth of feelings triggered by this incident, which in no way represents our values and our high standards that we strive to achieve daily. Our thanks go to those who have supported us during this difficult time. We will, of course, reflect and learn from this experience. Superintendent Rachel Swinney of Sussex Police said, A thorough investigation is underway into this disturbing report, which we treat exceptionally seriously. We have engaged with the college, which has taken internal disciplinary measures and fully supports our investigation. We have also engaged with the sheep's owner, local farmers and the wider community to provide reassurance and advice. 
anyone with information that could help Sussex Police investigation can contact Sussex Police online or via 101. And please quote Operation Chelmsford if you do know anything. And that is it from this week's Wildlife Matters Nature News. Now come with us to Japan's Taji Cove and we reveal the horror of the annual dolphin slaughter there in this week's Wildlife Matters Investigates. Hello and welcome back to this week's Wildlife Matters Investigates. Taji Cove, many would have heard of it. It's a small cove in a village in Japan. It's notorious for its annual dolphin drive, as featured in the Academy Award-winning movie called The Cove by Louis Theroux. From the start of September until the end of February each year, a large-scale hunt of dolphins takes place. During this period, fishermen, or more appropriately, dolphin hunters, utilize drive hunt techniques to herd large numbers of dolphins to the shore, resulting in their capture or death. 26 licensed fishermen carry out the capture of dolphins in Taji. They have permits from the Japanese government to carry out drive hunts to capture and kill a specified number of dolphins each year. Most people in the town of Taji have nothing to do with these hunts. The Japanese people, as a whole, are not aware of these hunts. The fishermen of Taji have become highly effective at locating, capturing and killing dolphins sometimes as many as 100 or more in a single day. Just before sunrise, motorboats leave the harbour searching for wild dolphin pods, heading to deep water where the dolphins migrate. The dolphins have been using these migratory paths for thousands, perhaps millions of years, and the hunters know exactly where to find them, they fan out their boats for many miles offshore beyond the horizon. When a dolphin pod is located, the fishermen position their boats one behind the other evenly spaced. They lower several stainless steel poles into the water, one on each side of the boat. The poles are flared out at the bottom much like a bell which amplifies the sound produced as the hunters repeatedly hit the poles with hammers. The noise creates a wall of sound underwater and the dolphins find themselves trapped between this wall of sound and the shoreline. To escape the sound, the dolphins swim in the opposite direction towards the shore. Now, in desperation and panic, the dolphins lose their sense of navigation and the fishermen drive them into the small cove near Taji Harbour. The process can take several hours and the dolphins grow ever more exhausted. Nets are finally drawn across the mouth of the cove to close off any exit routes so the dolphins are trapped. The fishermen then force the dolphins into shallow water near the rocky beach. 
Here, they are inspected by trainers from the Dolphinarium and Marine Park industry who select individuals who have high sales value as much as $150,000 per dolphin, whilst the old, the young, or those with skin imperfections are left to be slaughtered by the fishermen. When the documentary The Cove was filmed, Fishermen killed the dolphins with long, sharp spears. They would stab the dolphins with their fishermen's hooks and haul the still-living dolphin onto their boat. The dolphins thrashed about in their blood and their screams filled the air. The slaughter turned the waters of the cove blood red. Since the cove raised awareness of this brutal treatment of sentient dolphins all around the world, the fishermen have not stop the killing but they have altered their killing methods. They now pull the dolphins underneath an array of plastic tarps to prevent anyone from filming the slaughter. Under the covers the fishermen push a sharp metal spike into the dolphin's neck just behind the blowhole. That is supposed to sever the spinal cord and produce an instant or so-called humane death. The fishermen then push dowel-like wooden corks into the wounds to prevent the blood from spilling into the cove. It's hard to understand that there is anything humane about killing dolphins in such a way. Officially, the primary purpose of the dolphin hunt is to provide dolphin meat to the Japanese people. But, only a tiny majority of people in Japan eat the meat. There is another essential and rather shocking aspect to the dolphin hunt. The fishermen have said that they not only hunt dolphins for their meat and sale to the dolphinarium industry, but they hunt them as a form of pest control. Now, this will sound familiar to everyone who has opposed hunting in any of its gruesome forms anywhere in the world. The fishermen claim the dolphins eat fish and the fishermen are simply killing the competition. This statement is absurd. This is a cull driven by money and licensed by the Japanese government. We know that overfishing of the oceans is a global issue and the Japanese fishermen supported by their government are driven by making money from the misery and suffering of dolphins. The Japanese government is making the same argument in to the International Whaling Commission that whales eat fish and therefore need to be controlled by killing. Again, they are avoiding the real issues that we humans with our giant factory trawlers are taking an unsustainable level of fish from the world's oceans. Secondly, some people believe they have the right to kill animals as it, as it is some tradition. This desire to keep the dolphin population down is a significant reason why the Japanese government is keen to issue permits for these hunts. It is not really about providing meat for the Japanese people at all and it is undoubtedly not about maintaining what the fishermen repeatedly referred to as their tradition or culture. The first Taji dolphin hunt was in 1969. That's hardly a long tradition or culture. It is about eradicating as many dolphins as possible 
to make the ocean's fish available only for human consumption. There are several areas in Japan where local dolphin populations have declined or have become locally extinct with the full support of the Japanese government. The powerful Japan Fisheries Agency promotes the killing of dolphins and whales as part of Japan's food culture. However, very few Japanese people eat dolphin meat. The vast majority can't afford the exorbitant cost of whale meat in the country either. The Japan Fisheries Agency perceives its role as protecting the Japanese people from the consequences of overfishing worldwide. They believe if environmentalists shut down whaling and dolphin hunts, that other Japanese fishing methods and species might also be attacked. The whaling staff of the Japan Fisheries Agency have an additional and very personal incentive to maintain the hunts. The sale of whale meat and government subsidies provided to protect whaling pay their salaries. Let's be clear, this is a political issue. As is often the case, the further you research a problem, the certainty is that politics will be the main issue. The Japanese Fisheries Agency authorized fishermen to kill or capture around 16,000 cetaceans with 2,000 of them dying in Taji alone. The licenses are for seven species of dolphins. Not all are driven hunts, as in Taji. Some of the other species are killed with handheld harpoons from small boats. The other licensed dolphin species are the Pacific bottlenose dolphin, the Rizzo's dolphin, the false killer whales, Pacific white-sided dolphins, the short-finned pilot whales, pantropical spotted dolphins, and striped dolphins. Wildlife Matters calls on the world's government to unite and work together to end the mass killing of cetaceans in our oceans. These sentient, intelligent mammals should be safe to roam the oceans without fear of predation from humans whose primary motivation is to make money by exploiting and killing them. And that has been this week's Wildlife Matters investigation into the horrors of Japan's Taji Cove. Coming up next will be Wildlife Matters' mindful moments. But before that, let's hear from our partners, One Voice for Animals. Exciting news! Wildlife Matters has formed a partnership with the fabulous folk at One Voice for Animals. Our partnership aims to raise awareness of the work of the many independent rescues that are part of the One Voice for Animals family. One Voice for Animals works to create awareness of the work of rescue organisations all around the UK to provide practical support that is raising standards for animal rescues and helping them to raise the vital funds that they need. The One Voice for Animals directory is the place to go to find your local animal rescue, be that for companion or wild animals. 
and collectively, one voice for animals works to influence UK animal welfare issues on behalf of their member organisations and is a member of APGOR, the all-parliamentary group for animal welfare. For more information, please visit the One Voice for Animals website. Their website address is www.helpanimals.co.uk. And just in case you've missed that, get your pen and papers ready. The website address is www.helpanimals.co.uk. Now let's get back to the Wildlife Matters podcast. And now it's time for us to just spend a few moments relaxing in nature. And this week's sound is one you won't hear at this time of year. This is one of our true hibernating mammals. And I can't give you a bigger clue than that. But let's just see what you think. Or just sit back and relax and enjoy the sound. On this week's Wildlife Matters Mindful Moment. wasn't that beautiful as i said in the intro really i would argue now this is our probably one remaining true hibernator here in the uk because hedgehogs definitely aren't hibernating all winter due to our warmer wetter winters and the bats even are coming out more than they have ever done but this animal remains fast asleep through the whole of winter and that is the beautiful snoozing dormouse that has been this week's wildlife matters mindful moments and coming up next is the wildlife matters main feature when we are backing the ban on hunting in england and wales welcome back and on this week's wildlife matters podcast main feature we are going to explain why wildlife matters is backing a ban and the call to strengthen the hunting act in england and wales here at wildlife matters we have never understood how anyone can get pleasure from chasing a wild animal to exhaustion and then watching a pack of hounds tear the animal to pieces anyone who can convince themselves that this is a sport a tradition or a means of pest control has some severe mental and emotional problems hunting wild animals with packs of dogs was made illegal under the hunting act of 2005 the response of the blood hunters was to devise a hybrid bastardization of blood and drag hunting 
that has become known as trail hunting. Let's be clear, trail hunting is just a cover for the blood hunters to continue their bloodlust with the conscious intent to mislead the police and make it difficult for them to be prosecuted under the Hunting Act. How sick and depraved do you have to be to devise a scheme to continue your bloodlust in plain sight? Wildlife Matters fully supports the Hunting Act, but is working with other anti-hunting groups to bring in a series of amendments to the Hunting Act that will make it a practical and enforceable piece of legislation that will finally bring an end to blood hunting in England and Wales. Wildlife Matters believe that the following seven amendments would make the Hunting Act fit for purpose and end hunting. The first would be the use of dogs below ground should be prohibited. This is arguably where the worst cruelty occurs in hunting, not only to wild foxes or badgers pursued underground with limited opportunity to escape, but also to the terrier dogs sent below ground to find these animals and either flush them out or hold them at bay. The second is a reckless provision should be inserted to stop hunters from using the false alibi of trail hunting. There is no such sport as trail hunting. It is simply a cover for illegal blood hunting. The best way to deal with the false alibi of trail hunting is to include a reckless provision in the Hunting Act. This would enable people to be prosecuted, not only when it can be proven that they intended to hunt wild mammals with dogs, but also if it can be proven they were reckless by not preventing their dogs from doing so. The third amendment would be sentencing powers to be increased. Like many animal protection laws, the effectiveness of the Hunting Act is limited by the lenient punishments available to our courts. However, the Hunting Act penalties are weaker than other animal legislation. We believe this disparity trivialises Hunting Act offences in the eyes of many offenders and the legal system. We are therefore calling for sentencing to be brought in line with the Protection of Badgers Act and the Wild Mammals Protection Act with a maximum penalty of six months imprisonment. The Fourth Amendment. Removing the observation and research exemption that stag hunts have systematically abused. England's three remaining stag hunts have been trying out different exemptions of the Hunting Act to enable them to continue hunting stags. They tried the flushing to guns exemption and the rescuing of an injured mammal exemption, but they both failed as they were successfully prosecuted for abusing these exemptions. However, when they tried the research and observation exemption, that one did work as no prosecutions have progressed when this exemption has been used as a defence. No genuine researchers rely on this exemption, so it should be removed from the Act. Amendment 5 
an extension of the available time to charge suspects with breaching the Hunting Act. Under the current law, a defendant must be charged within six months of committing an offence. In practice, this means that police forces often need more resources to secure a charge within that time and consequently suspected illegal hunting can go unpunished. Amendment 7 application of a vicarious liability to cover the employers and landowners of those in breach of the Hunting Act. In illegal hunting cases, it is often the terrier men or the huntsman paid employees or contractors of the hunt who are charged and subsequently prosecuted. However, responsibility should also lie with those who run the search such as the hunt masters and those who own the land where the hunting took place and authorised the hunt to use it. Adding a vicarious liability clause would mean that those who instigate or enable the illegal search can also be prosecuted. And the seventh amendment would be the reversal of the burden of proof in exempt hunting cases. Reversing the burden of proof for cases where a suspect uses the exempt hunting defence would mean that the responsibility would no longer be on the prosecution but on guard, meaning hunts would need to prove they indeed followed all the conditions stipulated by the Hunting Act relevant to the type of exempt hunting they claimed they were doing, such as flushing to guns or falconry as examples. This is a crucial part of the recent amendments to the Scottish Hunting Act that became law during 2023. With these seven amendments in place, a foolish and reckless person would take a pack of hounds onto a piece of land. There may be some who continue to believe they have a right to kill wild animals on their land or land owned by their friends or colleagues but the law would be on the side of the majority of the British public who oppose that view. With the exposure of the hunting office Zoom meetings back in August 2020, blood hunting in Britain was critically injured. It lost the confidence and faith of significant numbers of landowners throughout the UK, which has reduced the amount of land available that they have permission to trail hunt on. Wildlife Matters supports more direct action in exposing the blood hunters and by keeping the groups who work on the front line for over 40 weeks of the year to stop the hunters of wildlife. These groups are volunteer led and funded by donations. We want to ensure they have the right technical equipment and the know-how to continue to expose hunting as the pack of lies is in reality. We are also campaigning for the seven critical amendments as we've detailed to be made to the Hunting Act and for the police to be resourced to ensure that prosecutions for an illegal hunting become the norm and not the exception. If you agree with us, please take a look at the Hunt Saboteurs website and make a donation to them. It's those guys who put the boots on the ground to help protect those animals in the UK that are still hunted 
buy packs of hounds illegally, then please do donate to your local Hunt Saboteurs group today. And that has been this week's Wildlife Matters main Well, that was a challenging episode. Shockingly, the persecution of wildlife in the UK has reached such appalling levels of depravity in the actions of some people and the frequency of the abuse and attacks. Of course, the hunters continue to pursue their perverse pastime of killing animals for fun as the fox hunting season is now in full swing. The more people become aware of the horrific and cruel ways that animals are treated, the greater the voice of the majority of people who treat animals with respect will become. Here at Wildlife Matters, we are passionate about the beauty of wildlife in the UK and how we can enjoy spending time in nature while sharing it with the creatures that live there. And that is where we would like to focus. But we can't ignore such devastating persecution of wildlife and nature. On the next episode of the Wildlife Matters podcast, our investigation team will explore the question, where have all the raptors gone? And this follows our recent trip to the north of England. We will also highlight Wildlife Matters work with individuals who struggle with mental and physical health issues and those who live in big cities and have never experienced nature in the countryside. Will share how spending time in woodlands and immersing themselves in nature has helped their creativity and their emotional, mental, and physical health. So join us on Wednesday, December the 20th, for our next episode. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to them. And don't forget to tune in for our Wildlife Matters Christmas special filled with festive stories based on nature and wildlife to enjoy while wrapping presents, preparing Santa's mince pie and tipple. And don't forget to leave a tasty treat for the reindeer. Okay, so that's it for now. This is me, Nigel Palmer, your host. Thank you for listening. Wildlife Matters, signing off.